Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats of all ages, welcome to another scintillating, exciting, not safe for work episode of the Development Hell Podcast, episode number 67. Uh, because we foolishly decided to accommodate a guest who is not in the same time zone as Ed and myself, we're recording this on a Saturday afternoon of all times. Uh, and we're going to be speaking with a former co-worker of mine and someone for whom and I, who I think can only be described as having a hate-hate relationship with me. But before we bring the guest on, uh, Ed, how are you? I know we talked very briefly before we started recording. Uh, it's very rare that we do stuff on a weekend like this. It is. I've got uh, a lot of things lined up um, that I had to set aside. Um, we were going to go to Home Depot probably a target, you know, a nice little, nice little Saturday. Yeah. I mean, when we're done with this, I'm going to go over because the slow pitch league that I retired from this year there, uh, basically because my vision in my left eye had deteriorated to the part where I actually couldn't see the ball properly anymore. So I packed it in, mm-hmm. but they're, but they're playing this weekend. It's the playoff weekend. So I promised them I will come by. So um, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, my youngest daughter wants to come with me because I guess she wants to learn how to swear like an adult. So we're going to go and watch them. I'm going to keep score for them and just hopefully, because they're doing quite well. And if they win, uh, I think if they win this game that I'm going to in a couple hours, they're going to qualify for at least the consolation championship, which would be good. But anyway, uh, you should, just, you, just another side. And I'm going and I'm going sailing tomorrow with a friend of mine. That should be good. All right. Um, by sailing, do you mean you're going to get tied to the mast like in Billy Bud? No, you mean what about Bob? You mean? I meant the literary classic Billy Budd by Herman Melville. But I've never I, read Billy Budd by Herman I'm, Melville. Well, some of us had better high school educations than others, I guess. This is yeah. We talked about this in the last podcast. You sound like you went to an actually pretty cool high school. I just went to a, just a regular um, public high school, and I did everything in my power to get out of there as soon as possible. Well, if it's you think it's pretty cool to uh, have uh, gender segregated classes and have to wear. Uh, uncomfortable dress pants all ordered from the same place in Philadelphia. That's uh, cool. It sounds like some of the subject, like, you know, you had the oh, re- yeah, yeah, yeah. religious no. discussion stuff. But, but you know, a friend of mine owns a sailboat, and I've been bugging him for a long time to uh, to take uh, me and the family out. So, yeah, so tomorrow afternoon I'll be sailing around on Lake Ontario um, with my you friend get, in his boat. You're going to be shooting some donuts? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Maybe if we Now, to. can you uh, water ski on those? I don't think this. I, I think if the winds are high enough that I could, you know, water ski behind a sailboat, I think there's a bigger problem going on on the. And I'm pretty sure the sailboat would like disintegrate at that speed. How many cannon does it have? I I, can't, I don't think it has any actually. This is a it's a it's a scout. I actually I don't know anything about my friend's boat other than that he's had it for a while, and he uh, kept coming up with excuses about why we couldn't go on it. But now we're good. Uh, is it named the Dreadnought? No, it's not. I, I, have to, I don't even remember what it's named. I used to know, but it's, as with most things in my life, it's no longer relevant what it's called, so I don't worry about it. So you and your family are going to be sailing on the pussy wagon tomorrow. Yeah, basically, yeah. Right, all right, that's nice. Yeah, should be good. So it sounds like a fun family experience. I, I saw uh, this, uh, I don't even remember... Uh, maybe that was up north enough for you many years ago. The uh, Minnesota Vikings got in some trouble for yes, enough for another a, boat excursion. Yeah, they had the party boat uh, going on. So basically had a boat with one humongous floating party. And yes, a bunch of the members of the Vikings got in trouble for, for various uh, activities. It was a fuck party. Yeah, well, yeah. sure. Yep. Or <laughs> as our guest might say, 
A fume de fric is a bit. No, that would be a Swedish. I don't know. Whatever the Welsh word is for fuck, I'm sure Gary knows what it is. Gary, are you there still? Of course. You told oh. me to shut up until you'd finish your introduction. So. For, for once, Gary does what he's told. This is very impressive. Now, so, shut, shut back up again. We haven't talked about the sponsors. Yeah, so shut up again. We have to do the sponsors. Okay, so, so yeah. You want to talk about sponsors? Uh, I got a couple for you. Uh, I remember there was a, a company that made a lot of cartoons in the 80s. I think it was called Worlds of Wonder. Uh, yes. Yeah. And this is, uh, this sponsor is like that, except uh, for your internet services. It's called Wonder Network. And they produce fine programming <laughs> for people to uh, do stuff with their internet. So basically, they have a bunch of tools that do uh, metrics and measurement and testing for uh, your web pages, your internet applications, things like that, uh, to do speed testing, uh, other kinds of, uh, and, and based on geographic, different geographic locations, uh, to test localization, stuff like that. Uh, lots of cool stuff. So uh, they provide the bandwidth for us to live broadcast. And um, they also are, are employ the uh, wonderful and talented Gemma Ansible. And uh, it is founded by Paul and Will Rogers. Uh, Paul being a good friend of ours who also works at uh, what? Uh, Stripe. Stripeify. Yes, it's Stripe, Stripeify Online Payments, Inc. Right. I wonder if Will has the the stuffed horse trigger in his office. Oh yeah, that would be good. I I thought for a second I couldn't think. I was thinking about a gun and a horse, and I thought maybe it was kind of like um, the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't pay your bills and uh, yeah, right. up, you don't pay your Wonder Network uh, bill, and then in the morning when you wake up in the morning, there's a horse head and the horse's head in the bed with you. Yeah, basically, that's what happens. See, that's what a good uh, development evangelist would do. I think would go to go to troublesome clients' houses and and I'm doing air quotes deal with the problem. And speaking of people that deal with problems, are we ready to introduce our guest? Yes, yes. It's Gary Hawkin. Gary, um, have you neglected to mention the second sponsor, or have I not been listening properly? Well, he just jumped the gun. Just jumped the gun. Because I work for the sponsor, and you used to work for the sponsor, and I'm sure everyone's heard Ed Butcher Roves. I mean, Rove has stopped doing it. Ever since we got rid of all the dogs pounding away on the, <laughs> on the iPads for us, we kind of, I mean, Rove is, let's be honest, Rove is in trouble now. So Rove has pivoted. Of course, Rove uh, it has been a longtime sponsor uh, as part of a larger scheme Um Modeled after the Escobar regime, uh, which, uh, it, it, by the way, I watched the first episode of Narcos on yeah, Netflix, yes. and it's quite good. It's like uh, watching my own life unfold when I watch that. Basically, show. it's like take that and apply that to a development consulting firm, and you have Rove. Because um, I mean, I've had conversations with clients where I said, "Look, do you want gold or do you want lead?" You know, there's a band led into gold. Uh, of course, the uh, famous alchemy. Uh, that was the intent of alchemy was to turn lead into gold. And there's a band, uh, a project that Paul Barker uh, of ministry 
if you remember that band, uh, I who do. is still around, and Paul Barker, who was the longtime uh, 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 sort of the the, the other uh, longtime member of ministry. With uh, with uh, Al, Al Jor- Jorgensen, Jorgensen. yeah, Al Jorgensen, um, and uh, Paul did a pro- side project called Let Into Gold. Cool. Which, Jesus built Jesus built my hot rod is one of my favorite co- uh, favorite songs. There you go. Song. Yes, off of Psalm sixty nine, um, mm-hmm. which is their most famous album. Uh, and uh, yeah, anyway, but back to the uh, crime syndicate that is Rove. Uh, now, one of the things we'll be talking about. Uh, is uh, regrets, mistakes made, uh, moral quandaries. uh, And I think we can all blame uh, these things that Rove was a participant in on our guest, Gary Hawken. So, uh, Gary, why don't you say hi to the world? Hello, world. And the, and there Gary just wrote his first program ever. Yeah, very good. <laughs> it would have been better, you know. Open a command line and just type "say hello world." Just do that for everything, right? Use the "say" command to. I see. Send yes. all of your responses. There's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not sure I'm brave enough to go there. We can alter your voice so that people can't identify you, but I'm pretty sure you used your real name. Yeah, yeah, and you've already said my real name twice, so I guess there's not much point in that. You no. wanker. Have <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got Stephen Hawking in the uh, room with you there, Chris? Is it, you bloody wanker. <laughs> sounds like it. You know there's different voices, too. Like, you can pick from different voices with the say command. If you do say dash H or dash dash help. Jeff Brains is great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I I, I concur. <laughs> Wonderful. <All right. laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, Mr. Hawking is on the show. Somehow he convinced us to um, do something at an ungodly hour on a weekend. Um, so, uh, I used to work with Gary at, uh, at the crime syndicate, but he has moved on to more illicit pastures. And now he's... Uh, uh, Part of the development evangelism team at JetBrains, who are the uh, creators of fine uh, uh, IDEs that lock up my laptop and make my MacBook Air sound like it wants to uh, do a vertical takeoff from my desk. That's that it right bit. now. Yeah, that's that's what the background hum is. I'm just it's still indexing three days later. My little <laughs> project from OpenCFP is still trying to index it all. I, uh, I think that I, probably says more about your. Um, your code than it does about the IDE to be found. How dare you? How dare you? I had that with... Uh, I want honestly, to talk to your supervisor right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think PHP Storm probably did as good a job as most things that I ever ran into with it, but uh, I, for a while, when I was working at Legal Server, we would do... A, we had really a development server that... A single development server that we all uh, would do our primary editing on. Oh, and yeah, it was pretty bad. And uh, we would actually, I would actually, uh, there's a thing you can do in, in PHP Storm where you can download everything and then tell it when you save to upload to a certain place, right? So mm-hmm. what I would do is I would download the whole code base and then it would index it locally. Uh, but 
indexing over a like a remote, say SSH file system connection is a shit show. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just mean, not a yeah. solvable problem. I mean, yeah, I had the yeah. same problems when I was trying to use various editors remotely, which is why I, after a while, when I had this thing where you had to work on remote dev servers, I just gave up and kept using Vim because it was like easier than than trying to get it to sync everything. You're sitting there waiting forever for it to to save stuff. But yeah, but I thought you, I thought you used Notepad, yeah, Chris. No, Vim. I'm doing the Vim gang sign. Vim for life, it's, buddy. It's not even oh. Notepad. It, it's it's not Notepad plus plus. It's just one plus. Yes. It's Notepad minus. It's Notepad minus minus. Otherwise known oh, as Vim. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise known as Vim. Right. Yeah, I started using Vim, and obviously I'm still using it because I I can't close the thing. But. <laughs> boom, yeah. boom. It's just, uh, oh, it's a Evangelist and amateur comedian. That's pretty good, Gary. Your, your Apache comp file has just turned into a bunch of lorem ipsum text, and you're afraid to save it. <laughs> That's what always happens to me with Vim. I'm like, oh, I fucked up, and I just have to like cue exclamation point. There's no way out of it. <laughs> I, I don't know how to undo anything. I'm just fucked. It's yeah. like in you know the movie The Crow when the when he has the guy strapped into the Thunderbird is going to send him over the thing. So there's yeah. no coming back. There's no coming back. That's how Ed is with Vim. That's it. I know. Just, so every time I open Vim, I'm like, the like really the only command I know is uh, right quit and quit. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I, I, well, you can yeah. you can it's still recall to, to delete the AWS instance than it is to actually fix the problem. Yes, yeah. I can do that. It would be easier for me to simply redeploy the, the whole VM than try to recover the uh, mistakes I've made good, in the config good, file. Good times. All right, so Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing for JetBrains these days? Since we have a vague idea, but we perhaps we should hear it straight from you. What's to tell, you know? Um, I'm, yeah, I was working very, uh, very hard at Rove, as you know, uh, Chris, trying to make sure that everyone still had work to do. And it got gets to the point where when you've had to try and sell 24 um, iPad minis that smell slightly of dog, you kind of think, is this the, you know, the route I really wanted to go down with my life? So, um, yeah, I was approached by JetBrains, who wanted to have a developer advocate um, for PHP Storm and kind of I really wanted to try um, develop, developer advocacy um, easier job to do than it is to say but um, yeah I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it I really am it's very very tricky very difficult to um, actually believe that you're giving value early on I'm struggling to know like for example JetBrains pay for me to write my own talks that I delivered at a conference and I tend to spend quite a long time on, on slides and practicing. So to be being paid to do something you used to do for free is kind of, you know, you used to do it in your own time, evenings and weekends. And then all of a sudden you can do that in your working day. It kind of, you feel a bit, um, I don't know, you feel like you're kind of maybe not doing uh, the most you can for the company, but I guess that's, that's the job. So yeah, I'm quite happy. Now, uh, did your experience, your canine experience, uh, was that a factor in the hiring decision? Uh, no, absolutely not. I just want to make that clear. Um, in fact, Jeff Prince didn't know about the um, illicit uh, hound code farm that we had. So, yeah, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that on air, but hey. I think it's time to come clean. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no comment. Due to ongoing litigation, Ed, we're not allowed to talk about this anymore. Uh, I know I'm not actually American, but because this is being 
recorded in the US, am I allowed to claim the Fifth Amendment? Or We don't have it in Canada, so you're out of luck. Okay. Can you be compelled to uh, testify against yourself in Canada? Yep, we don't have the Fifth Amendment. You don't. Uh, when you're arrested, you have no right to remain silent. Um, I believe you have right to have counsel present during uh-huh. questioning, but right. I don't. But yeah, they don't have anything as uh, as uh, clearly delineated in law like the Fifth Amendment. So they can just start. Uh, if you don't talk, they can just shove broom handles up your ass like Giuliani style. Usually it's uh, cups of lukewarm Tim Hortons coffee, but yeah. Oh, well, they'll explain it. That's actually a nice, uh, well, yeah. that's, a, that's a boost, a pick-me-up in the morning. Yeah, you get cleaned out while you're being questioned. So and okay. yeah. uh, faster absorption. Mm. Maple syrup. Oh, besides, besides, it basically comes out the same way it tasted going in, but anyway. I, can you tell I'm not a fan of Tim Hortons coffee? Weren't you at Tim Hortons the other day and... So but I got the iced coffee, which is different. Yeah, the, yeah, the cashier's like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> She's like, you don't want any, co- you don't want any, uh, any sugar in your in your iced coffee, but you're having, but you bought two donuts. And I felt like I was going to say something like really rude to her. I'm like, hey, we all make our choices. Yeah. Well, uh, what was the? Po- I don't understand. What point was she making? You okay. you you don't like sweet coffee, but you like sweet deep fried batter. So yeah. they're completely different things, surely. Yes, so I've just basically said I just I just because what they do when you order iced coffee from them, they have like this sickly sweet beverage that they put in the, that's like a combination of like some kind of processed dairy thing and mm, sugar. Right, and so right. it's really sweet. And I find it uh, you know, really, really sickly sweet. So when I get them to make the iced coffee, I just like iced coffee with just uh, with a little bit of milk in it. And because normally when I drink coffee, I don't put any sugar in my coffee. I have coffee. I make like lattes usually. So coffee and some almond milk. So I get the flavoring from the almond milk and I don't need any sugar. So when I get the coffee, I don't like to have sugar. The iced coffee, I don't like sugar in it. That's all. <laughs> I felt like I felt like, like doing what I just did the games. I'm going to scream and say, I want to talk to your supervisor right now. But no, I just... Uh, I, I don't think anyone would have judged you if you'd have thrown the iced coffee right back in her face, Chris. The, the, the uh, burning hot coffee, like in, uh, <laughs> the iced coffee, would have been fine, surely. Didn't yeah. they do that in uh, in uh, Clerks? Somebody got a face full of coffee. I wouldn't doubt it. I haven't seen Clerks. That's weird. Um, I was at Starbucks once when I used to work on campus, and some punk kid was like. Why do you come in here and order a light frappuccino? And I'm like, because it's got less calories in it. And he said, man, if you're at Starbucks, I don't know why you're worried about calories. And I'm like, thanks for calling me fat. <laughs> I like this but, were, but were you fat though? Were you as portly as you are now? Uh, I, no, not quite. I did just find out that like, I've lost 10 pounds in like the last week or two. Well, you and I both know why, but we're not going to get into that on the air. But, uh, I saw that picture of you from pooping nonstop. (laughs) I saw that picture from, (laughs) I saw that picture from, uh, of you from 2007, like, uh, how fresh faced and young you looked in that one. Oh my God. Yeah. That's like a year before I met you. Gary, did I ever tell you, cause since we're, we're into embarrassing Ed right now. So Gary, did did I ever tell you a story about how the first time I actually like interacted with Ed? Did I ever tell you the story again? Oh, m- many times, Chris, yes. Um, no, I in haven't. Fact, in fact, I think you've told it. As somebody, and this is an embarrassing revelation, who's listened to every podcast you've ever done, I'm sure you've said it on the podcast. It was it something to do with uh, a flat battery in your car. Yeah, see? Or, yeah, there we go. So Gary does remember. All right, anyway, we can move on. Yeah, I mean, 
please feel free just to tell it again. You know? Oh, no, 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 no. Now I'm going to be recalcitrant and I'm not going to talk about it. All right, let's move on. I get paid the same amount regardless of how much I speak, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So carry on, Chris. Well, that's all the time we have for Gary on today's episode, <laughs> and we're going to talk about a bunch of shit that we don't care about his opinion about. All right, so let's look at our, our wonderful uh, docket of things that we're going to talk about. So the first one uh, is Slack versus IRC. Now, because this came up, I think we are talking about a little bit before we started recording. My personal opinion, of course, is that uh, people like... I don't like Slack. And the reason I don't like Slack is because I felt like the people behind Slack would have been, been would have been doing a greater service to the development community at large by building their product on top of IRC instead of on top of XMPP because XMPP is slowly going away. Google Chat used to be it, doesn't use it anymore. Um, the only people who are using it now are basically anyone's using Slack and if people want to run it themselves, they're having to set up their own like Jabber server and stuff. And so stuff like this, uh, the longer I work in this industry, the more infuriated I get at this reinvention nonsense where it's like you had a distributed chat platform all in place. The only problem with IRC is that it's not entirely user friendly. So they could have poured as much time and as much money into making a nice friendly IRC client that was a nice wrapper around it and hid all the nonsense from people. It certainly couldn't, can't be that hard to create a standalone IRC client with a similar experience to Slack. I mean, people talk about oh, Slack, but I say, yeah, the only reason people seem to like Slack is because they can easily paste stupid uh, pictures into Slack. And I, I really honestly fail to see the advantage that Slack gives over IRC in terms of like functionality available to the people that use it. It's just that they decided that building something on top of IRC was, was too hard for the twee hipsters wherever they live. See, I uh, I think I take a, a different approach to that, and I should I, I'll preface it by saying that I really do prefer when things are built on top of open standards, and uh, but I think that I'm an anomaly in that case, and I think that there's reasons, predictable reasons, why uh, people would choose. Uh, a, you know, one product over another. And I think that it, for most people, it doesn't have to do with being built on top of an open standard or not. And actually I, I didn't even know Slack was built on top of XMPP, which is an open standard, which may or may not have good adoption. Uh, but that's interesting. Now, I don't know how realistically, like, can I use another client to connect to Slack? I don't think so. I think you have to use Slack clients. I think you have to use, um, you know, their systems for everything. So in that sense, it could be built on top of an open standard the same way that, like, Internet stuff is built on TCP IP, but it doesn't actually make any difference. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't like, allow you then to, say, take your data easily out of this, that system and put it in something else, right, if, if Slack goes away. Um, I think that, you know, there's, there are things that I'm not aware of because I haven't tracked it that closely. There certainly must be marketing things and stuff like that. Why Slack has gained, uh, some popularity, uh, over other similar products. I guess there's similar products like HipChat. I, I've never used HipChat. So yeah, we use, we use HipChat, uh, for the client that I work for mm-hmm. uh, through Rove, they use HipChat. 
Now, I I don't know anything about it. I don't know if it's built on open standards. I don't know how easy it is to get your stuff out of there. I don't know if you can use your own clients. I don't know. Um, but I will say this, and, and then I'll get to an example of a company that maybe is doing something a little different. If you look at all the stuff that you could that you that comes with slack out of the box which i'm going to pull up a list but i can think of things off the top of my head uh which includes things like full search history um a, a large amount of integrations with external stuff which is a really big thing that tons of people do um over one million emoticons Yes, tons of emoticons. Although uh, you can, when you want to do custom ones, they basically have to be square, only sixty-four like pixels wide, which kind of sucks. Because I've been on, I would like to have like bigger uh, stuff. Um, but so I, I'm going to look this up. But generally, my feeling is that. Um, you can do things like have private teams, but also then do guest access. Um, you can do, they have built in authentication through Google domains. Um, none of those things are things that you can't uh, also like single sign on stuff with you, you pay a little bit more, you can get, you know, external message and archival stuff, things like that. And those are things you have to pay for now. Can you do all of those things with an IRC system that say you operate yourself? Absolutely. But you got to set it up all yourself and you got to maintain it all yourself. That's a lot of work. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not worth it to some people. Um, at Fictive Kin, we ran our own IRC stuff. Um, and it was fine. And we did more stuff. We had like a bot that we wrote to do our own shit. And it was specialized to handle like leaving messages for people and notifying them and things like that. And it was really, uh, but it was good, but it was, a, it was some work. Right. Um, and I wasn't the one who did most of that work, but it was work. The ops people had to spend time doing all that shit. Um, and making sure it worked correctly and, you know, all that shit. And then the other side of it was um, clients, like most IRC clients I've encountered are not great. And I think they're especially not great on mobile. Um, that doesn't mean I've, they're not okay, but most of the stuff I've run into doesn't work that great. And Slack, you get all that shit right out of the box. You don't have to worry about it. And the mobile, the, on all the native apps, what, quote unquote native apps, the desktop apps, which are really just web wrappers, but they work okay. And they, they work with the notification stuff in the OS. And the, um, I know I've used the, I use the iOS app all the time and it's really good. And it's awesome because I can just seamlessly switch from my desktop to mobile don't have to worry about it. I know I'm going to get all my messages. I know all my stuff's going to be there. And that is super helpful. So I think there's, in terms of all this stuff that you don't have to do, that you get right out of the box, Slack is pretty compelling as, as a lot of 
software as a service stuff can be for people. It means there's a lot less work you have to do uh, and you get integrations with tons of stuff. Now, the one thing we were talking about before that, and also I think they're using it at Mozilla and it came up yesterday because I was talking uh, a friend of mine who works at Mozilla on Twitter and she was kind of asking the same questions. Like, I don't understand why Slack's so popular. You know, it seems, what does it do different than IRC? And I said, well, I think it does these things that are generally hard for people to do. That, you know, well, and one thing I, I, I didn't mention, but I think is really key is that onboarding for people who are not familiar with IRC is generally really, really hard. Like, that's, it's that's like a really, really, really valid point there as well. Right. And, and particularly if, you know, like there's lots, if you're just talking, say, open source projects, we want to pe- get people involved and get them involved in chat rooms. And IRC is a, is a huge hurdle for most people. A really big book. And I'm talking, look, I've, I've been in, you know, classes where it's like, look, I haven't done any programming before. I want to learn what kind of what open source is about and try to engage people and try to get them interested in working on it. You don't want to have things where it's like, yeah, we have, this is where our chat room is. But you have to go through a relatively archaic and, hard to understand system that makes tons of sense to me because I've been doing it for 15, 20 years. But Ed, if someone can't connect to IRC, how the hell are they going to send you a pull request? True. I will say that I think it is easier to figure out a pull request on GitHub than it is to figure out from zero, again, from nothing, how to get onto IRC. I mean, for me, the as it, as developers, as you know, the reason IRC has been around forever, right? I'm sure Ed will probably come on to this later. But when you started your um, online gaming uh, career, that you would be using maybe QuakeNet IRC the same way that I did. Yeah. Um, so IRC has been around forever and a day. Oh, but, sure, sure. But um, the difference is that I've been using IRC, you know, as a developer to communicate with other developers forever. But I think Slack is helping a ton because it's it's enabling um people who may not be so technically proficient to communicate in the same way that developers have been communicating so right right project project managers you know product owners if you're in this um agile uh lowercase a environment you can get more people into the communication channels where you know which developers have kind of had exclusive access to for all those years yeah and one point I want to go back to something you just said is like, well, how could, like, if they can't get on IRC, how am I supposed to expect them to do a pull request? A valid point, but wouldn't we rather have maybe one thing we need to figure out that's hard than two things that are both hard and completely different? I mean, yeah. that's another yeah. thing that you're, another hurdle you got to get over. If, and, if somebody yeah. can't install and configure IRC, I don't want them working on my open source project. Yeah, and I can understand that, but if you could remove that... <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. No. Oh, okay, right. Well, well but, I mean, a lot of people, I think, have that, have kind of have that attitude. But I think if the idea is, like, you want to remove as much as you can, you know what I mean, from having people participate in some way. Now, all that being said, it's, there's, I don't see a reason why the stuff that's on Slack couldn't have been built on top of IRC. And in fact, I don't use this product, but like my friend at Mozilla talked about it and you guys, and before we, we started recording, talked about IRC Cloud. I've never used it, but it sounds like maybe a similar system, but it's built on top of the IRC standard. And maybe you guys could talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, go, Chris. Well, I mean, I started using IRC Cloud because I, I felt like it was a case where I needed to um, back up my uh, ranting on Twitter with actual action. I mean, IRC Cloud, uh, it, they're trying to do a lot of just basically what Ed was talking about. There's all these features, and IRC Cloud is saying, well, we think we can give people um, similar experience through both a web-enabled client, and then they provide clients for mobile. So I've connected to, to IRC on my phone and on my iPad, and um, it's been pretty much seamless. It, you know, it acts like a little bouncer. You stay logged in. Um, it's been quite good. I mean, I've used it. I haven't delved a lot into the into uh, you know into some of the advanced features, but uh, you know, basically, it's it, it, a lot of like I, I get the part Ed, where you're talking about mm-hmm. removing barriers to get people to participate in things, and I, I think there is. Um, there is a lot of validity to that. And I also, uh, although I don't necessarily agree that it's easier to do a pull request than figure out how to connect to IRC. The sure. problem was, and continues to be with IRC, that the vast majority of IRC clients were built by engineers, and mm-hmm. quote unquote, right? People, it's, this is the idea of the engineer's interface to everything. I know certainly I've built really crappy UIs for things because it's just me using it. And I never anticipated somebody else, whatever, somebody else who is not like me would use that particular product. And of course, I find that this is a blind spot for many, many people, not just in the technology field, but all over the place where people lack the awareness that the rest of the world isn't like them. And they lack the awareness that sometimes when you provide things for other people to use, regardless of what it is, basically, if it's a computer program or software as a service or or something outside computing, it's like, yeah, not everybody is like you and not everyone's going to look at this thing and understand immediately how to use it. I mean, all those things that you talk about integration and stuff yeah all those things slack provides people don't have to do that themselves i get that that people want uh, at a higher level it's good that that uh, the company behind Slack has worked very hard to make it easy to hook in third-party service. So that when uh, you know you can tell it, keep an eye on these Git repos. So whenever a push happens, uh, you know um, a notification. I mean, HipChat, where where I'm where, for the day job, HipChat is used like people would use Slack. And so anytime right. we push code or create pull requests or um, Travis CI gets cranked up to do a build for us, we get notifications right in HipChat, so mm-hmm. we can see what's going on. And I'm and I'm sure those same things exist um, for yep. Slack. But yeah, we do the same thing. Like I've got when I whenever I do a Capistrano um, deploy, it posts it in our dev channel, right? Yeah, which so which same, makes same sense, thing. keeping keeping people on top of this good. But I mean, it, just the problem I has that that um, there's two issues, right? So in my mind, the the main issue is that number one, you're getting lock in on a proprietary product. Right. So if Slack, if the company behind Slack ever goes under, which of course this being the startup world is entirely possible, Slack could just absolutely send, send out tomorrow, send out the typical thanks for joining us on our, on our incredibly on our incredible journey. We got where we got rich off of your content. Right. They could easily send that out. And then, so what are all you hipsters going to do now that Slack's not around? They're all going to go run into IRC. No, they'll just piss and moan and move on to the next proprietary platform that's offering a similar thing. So that there's that issue. That's a, it's a company sure. behind it. There's Absolutely. no comp. There's no company behind IRC, mm-hmm. right? So IRC will be here as long as there is one uh, cranky old sysadmin willing to run an IRC server somewhere that's publicly available. The the other issue as well that I think that people 
uh, don't understand or have given almost no thought to is um, uh, privacy issues. Unless Slack is has a way to archive things one way so they can't see every, so that everything that you are you talk about searchable archives being a really, really good thing. Sure, you can do that with IRC. You can demand that it logs things to files, and you could set up search, Elasticsearch or, or Lucene or whatever you wanted to do to sure. search through old things. But they're also, clearly, if they're offering that service, they're archiving every single conversation. So these conversations that you think are private, right. they might not be private as you think they are. And right. as, as you know, activities in recent years have shown, Simply telling people don't be evil or, oh, we act nice. We don't need to codify this anywhere. It's nope. not a good idea. So there is, I would, I mean, I my personal opinion is that there is a greater than zero chance that unless those chats are encrypted, someone at Slack, someone associated with Slack, maybe even a third party with Slack is looking at that stuff. I, and, yeah. is, and is reading those log files mm-hmm. and collecting information on your company, your employees, your clients who come in and chat, somebody somewhere is looking at all that stuff. And you have to ask yourself, how comfortable are you with the idea that a, uh, let's not get into about governmental entities looking at stuff because we know that shit's going on all the time. But how, how comfortable are you with a commercial entity that then can then turn around and profit from this information that you find? Uh, yep. Like if I was a Slack client and... I get an email from Slack saying, "Hey, we think you would, you know, we think you would like blah blah blah." And you know, this is some feature or something that you've been talking about in private chats with people that would re- set off so many oh, uh, sure. alarm bells. Saying, mm. "What the hell?" Because this is the problem I have too. I feel like somebody somewhere is looking at all this content that's being generated um, by Slack. I mean, you could look at it and say Slack themselves is looking at it at these chats, looking for keywords to see if people are. Uh, looking for features or if they're constantly doing the same things over and over again, is there something that they can add to Slack to make this happen? So that is the thing that bugs me about this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you run your own, you talk about a fictive can ran your own IRC server yep. uh, at Rove, we have a back channel server on Freeno that you have to be, uh, uh, you have to get permission to go in. I don't know where all those log files are going if they're being written somewhere. So I'm a little bit slightly concerned, but at least you can't get in there and talk to people without being correctly authenticated. But these are things like, like from a business perspective, I think about I, I don't like the I don't like the idea that uh, uh, you know that I, I really don't like free products anymore because I feel like that idea that you're being exploited because if you're not paying someone is someone is paying and chances are they're paying the provider uh, to get access to your information and I just I, that sort of scenario I used to not care about that maybe 10 years ago now I care about that stuff and I don't like it I don't. Well, like, I don't like the idea of the thing, mm-hmm. the activity that I do, being commodified. You know, turning into a commodity that is bought and sold and traded all over the place. I just. I. I. I, pref- I would prefer to be in control of as much as what I do online as possible. Now, the one thing I will say is that um, Slack does have free a free level, of course. But you know, we use it at Graph Story, and we we pay for it. I mean, we pay for those services. Um, I think all of your points are extremely valid. I mean, um, the, I, I, go, go ahead, please, Gary. I've been saying. Sorry, that. Ed. Yeah, there's two points. I think, Chris. The the first point is, I would imagine that the guys at Slack would argue that um, 
they have got more chance of success because they have a closed system. They have a, a system they've created. I know it runs on a, a standard, but I can't just use any kind of client to, to connect to the Slack network. I have to use their client. And that means that, um, you know, they're less, uh, less open to somebody just developing a rival client that does everything better. You know, if you're bought into Slack, you're bought into the network and the client. Whereas, like with IRC Cloud, which is fantastic, it only takes somebody to bring out, you know, IRC Uber, and then all of a sudden, which is better and cheaper and does more stuff, and you can just move on to this new product without actually needing to change anything. You know, you don't need to migrate things. Everything carries on working the same way. You're speaking to the same people, but you've just got a better client. So while I understand what your point is, it may be a better business model to own something in its entirety. No more chance of success for them, perhaps. Um, oh, I, I don't disagree with that logic at all. Of course, you a closed ecosystem, you have more control. I'm just like that. Just my objections. I just, I, I just think the, I think there would have been a greater benefit to more people if Slack had built its built a proprietary client on top of an open system. I, like I totally IRC. agree, but perhaps the, there wouldn't have been more benefit to their shareholders. Is only my point. And sure. I mean that. Let's be honest, Slack aren't there to make the world a better place through interconnected, you know, distributed chat. They're there to try and make some money for themselves. So You are, you are absolutely correct. Um, and the other thing is, I, I'm not 100% happy, you know, with, and this this is kind of going to be um, opening a can of worms, but everything that you say on, on IRC is going through a server that you don't control, and you don't really know who's running the Freenode server that you're actually sending your chat through so i don't see that the argument that we can't guarantee that everything you say in slack is confidential doesn't actually extend to 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 irc as well oh i I agree i mean that's part of the thing too with freenode i mean completely encrypted uh logging that would be an interesting option if you had one um for irc but anyway i mean because we're, I have actual hard deadline today, gentlemen. So we need to probably move okay, on. Okay, I mean, Slack okay. versus Slack versus IRC. I mean, I understand why people like Slack. I just wish that Slack was built on top of IRC instead of um, a slowly dying. Uh, it, it's ironic that that Slack is using uh, an open protocol as its underlying as an underpinnings with XMPP, but XMPP is dying because Google was the only one that was using it for a very long time, and uh, and now that they're not using it anymore, it. You could argue it might as well be a proprietary system with such a small, incredibly small percentage of people outside of Slack using it to speak with each other. I remember that Cinecore used um, uh, XMPP mm-hmm. uh, for all their chat stuff, and they were able to build the same things, the same type of bots, the same type of messaging systems, all those things that you talked about that Slack offers. Um, you know, Cinecore had the same sort of stuff. Commands to send messages to people, commands to do deployments right from inside chat. Um, those things are all incredibly useful. And Ed's point of, yes, someone has to build and maintain these is an extremely valid point. But I think, um, uh, I don't know. I just think, I, th- I personally think that for companies that are a size that need that sort of stuff, you are actually probably better off trying to build as, build as much of that stuff yourself as possible because that way you can tailor things the way that you exactly need them. Cause, because, because, Despite my desire for people to reuse as many things as possible, there are times where you need to build a single-purpose tool. And I think learning how to build those tools actually provides valuable knowledge to uh, to any size company. That's just my opinion. Sure. I guess, or maybe, maybe because I like writing those things. That's why I find myself more and more at my current position through Rove is that I'm spending a lot of time doing tooling and 
uh, weeding and just cleaning things up because they were left to be a mess and somebody has to go in there and fix all these things so everybody gets a benefit from it. And I don't mind being the one doing that. And I, I'm going to ask one quick thing, and I know we do want to move on to other stuff. They're not, it's not apples to apples, exactly, because it's a little different, especially in terms of the popularity of the protocols built on. But it really feels like you could, and some people have the same concerns about it, but I don't hear as many people talking about, say, uh, why would I use GitHub? I could just use, uh, insert some, like GitLab and self-host it. Why would I use GitHub? Well, I think the problem is GitHub is, well, it's not a problem. I think the fact is that GitHub has gotten enough of a mindshare amongst developers mm-hmm. that a competitor, like there was a time where GitHub versus GitLab and Jarrett and some of these other competitors, it was neck and neck and it was very tight to find out who was going to end up being the one that people preferred and just GitHub executed correctly and got mm-hmm. enough high profile right. open source projects to use it and then that was it. Yeah, and well, and so... And they maybe have that's what, maybe that's what's happened. Yeah, and stickers, absolutely. And maybe that's what's happened with Slack. You know, is uh, but you know we use GitHub all the time. I mean, but it's not like I couldn't just we couldn't run our own Git shit. But it is a pain in the ass to handle all that stuff yourself and to work with all the proprietary stuff they put on top of it that you get used to. Yeah, that's that's right. that's how the lock-in works, right? You provide them with enough functionality on top of the thing that you know. Right. Like, could you? How many people could imagine going back to? Uh, doing doing open source or doing even stuff for work with GitHub uh, with Git where you don't have pull requests anymore. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, right. I, I so, think it's uh, I think it's an interesting thing, and I think uh, I, that was a good discussion actually. But all right, know. so so Gary, you have fifteen seconds to talk about Dev Evangelism. Go. It's brilliant. Done. All right, next topic. Uh, no, uh, yeah. So talk a bit about like uh, people hear the term. Uh, Develop, developer evangelist um, bounced actually, around quite a bit. I'm actually so. a developer advocate, but I don't really know what the difference is. Um, so I can yeah. tell you what I think it might be. I, I'm I'm not a religious man, so that's why I'm an advocate rather than an evangelist. I think. Well, I wondered if maybe you were. Are you advocating? Is your job to advocate for JetBrains, or is it to advocate for developers in JetBrains to um, JetBrains? I I see myself as more of the voice of the developers. I see. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Would, yeah, would be the difference. Usually, when you talk about somebody in a in a in a team who is the ex advocate, that means that they're sort of like speaking for really an outside party on behalf of them to this organization. Yeah, that that pretty much sums up how I you know what I feel I'm doing. Right. And yeah, it's great. It's great fun. Um, as I said, it feels like at the moment I'm kind of living the dream, um, getting to attend conferences, uh, you know, that we're sponsoring without needing to submit, you know, get accepted by the horrible um, people who, who run the CFPs and um, generally just doing things that I really enjoy doing and being paid for doing them. I mean, it's still a slog. I thoroughly enjoy writing blog posts and tutorials, but writing blog posts and tutorials are only fun when you're picking the topic. Not so much fun when somebody else is saying, oh, you need to go and write about this now. You know, that is actually a lot more difficult and a lot less enjoyable than you just thinking, you know, this has been swilling on my mind for two months. I'm going to let this come out now and, and blog about it. But yeah, largely, I, I have to say, um, and this is 
go into sound like some horrible kind of ass kissing, but really the the company has got such a good um, mentality when it comes to um, employees that and, and developers. To be honest, I think it's a really really good fit, and I'm very very happy to be there. So so tell us like kind of what your daily well like your daily job is like. I'd be kind of interested to know. Yeah, you get, we've got you get up, you you jerk off. Whoa. <laughs> brush, your, brush your teeth. He smoke didn't just up, go there, did he? Smoke a bowl. What do you call that over there? Smoking your bowl. I don't even know what that means, so Yes you do, Gary. I genuinely don't, Chris, honestly. What? Hashish. Oh, oh, okay. Smoke a joint or something, I don't know. The bowl is the uh is like a little pipe that has the bowl in it. You might see it like a ceramic pipe. Oh, like a, a bong. Well, it's different than a bong. A bong is usually a bigger thing, and bongs oh. usually see, not always, but are often water-based. They have water in them, and that's different. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, uh, Gary, come over. Uh, it is next time you get to, say, Washington State or Colorado over oh, no, here. Uh, he's, he's coming to True North, so you'll get to, you guys. We can, oh, man, we're going to smoke up. We can, we, can, <laughs> we can hook that up. I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who can make that happen. I yeah, prefer edibles myself, but let's not. Yeah, we, we don't have those here, surprisingly. Ed. You don't have because, edibles? No, I think it's. I think it's basically because. Okay, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't. But I'm pretty sure what's happened is that the marijuana stuff has gone from being like a felony to more like a misdemeanor type right. of thing, and so right. eventually, eventually, it will be legalized the same way it's been in some U.S. states. Yeah, um, but so you can't just like mass manufacture cookies or something. No, no. Okay, so unless you make it that yourself, stuff is still illegal. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so that does cut down on that. Yeah. Like you can get edibles really easily, like in Washington or Colorado or Oregon. Well, I know. Now. I, it's, I it's know. Simple. I saw. I saw lots of them uh, when I was at Pacific Northwest PHP. Of course, Ed, you wouldn't know that because you barely showed up. But. Yeah, basically. Uh, but uh, yeah, we should. Uh, uh, but yes. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna all smoke up in uh, in in Toronto, and yep. then, uh, continue with your uh, developer advocacy that your uh, employer is surely listening to. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to be smoking or consuming via the mouth any kind of narcotics at True North PHP. We got suppositories. Don't worry. Just. <laughs> <laughs> just the idea of a marijuana suppository just makes me want to giggle endlessly. <laughs> okay, let's not. Let, I said not to go there. Let's, you know, just let's definitely not go there. Um, Don't worry. I had my fingers crossed as I was saying it. It doesn't count, Gary. It doesn't count, Gary. It's like an old American thing. You cross your fingers behind your back when you're lying, and it's not really a lie. But anyway, yeah. So, it, so, 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 what do you do? You you give a lot of talks at conferences uh, uh, targeted at. Uh, 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 helping other developers understand the JetBrains PHP Storm experience? Is that kind of what you're doing these days? No, no not at all. Um, I just submit, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, I've thrown a couple more talks into my kind of uh, repertoire that are more PHP Storm-centric, but really not because um, not because that's what JetBrains want me to do. I just feel like I've got more chance of getting those talks accepted now than I would have before I was working for PHP Storm. You know, I think there's a market for the PHP Storm developer advocates speaking about PHP Storm at a conference. It's a stronger um, talk submission in my mind than maybe if you weren't working for PHP Storm. Um, so I just submit my same rep- um, repertoire of talks. Um, I don't have, I've got no pressure or 
um, there's no and there's no need for me to submit only talks which say, look how good PHP Storm is. That's not what it's about at all. It's just about meeting people and and gauging um, gauging. Oh, this new feature, you know, would be really, really helpful. Or people are complaining because debugging is still, you know, setting up a debugger in PHP Storm is still a pain in the ass. Or yes, just you're right. Pain. It's a huge pain in the ass. But well, in PHP Storm nine, you do have the uh, debug debug configuration uh, diagnosis tool. Ed, so it's better. Uh, it is better. I I find, but it's but it's it's a pain in the ass. That's just one of the talks that I've submitted is stepping into debugging, which shows you how to set up yeah. PHP Storm X debug and then goes through the basics of step debugging. But not because I am representing PHP Storm, because I think it's something that people really need to, you know, will come to because it's always a pain in the ass for everyone. So I, I am sh- still to this day shocked, and I think it says a lot about how hard it is to get going that most of the people I run into are PHP developers don't ever use step debuggers. Yeah. Exactly and, I, and it makes such a difference in how you're able to debug and how you're able to examine what's happening in your application. And it is, it is a massively important tool for me. And almost nobody uses it. It's mm. crazy. So anyway, I'm sorry, that was a tangent, but I think that's a huge thing. If they, you make that easier, Jesus Christ, that would make a huge difference. Anyway, go ahead. No, I mean, that's pretty much it. We've got U-Track, which is like... A, our ticket system. It's a JetBrains product that handles and assigns tickets. And what a shill. And yep. uh, mm, right. What, what do you mean I'm a shill? I didn't say <laughs> buy U-Track, although you should definitely buy U-Track. Um, you just and did. All, and all JetBrains products. You mean like a hermit crab? Um, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> no, no it, it, I just get tickets assigned to me from the, the project manage, uh, marketing managers and other people, and I just work through the tickets if, you know, when I'm not submitted CFPs speaking or when I'm at my desk and when I wake up in the morning, I just work through my tickets and they may be do a, do a webcast on this, you know, one hand on the tickets, one hand doing that other thing, right, Gary? Uh, (laughs) What I want to know is I was looking at PHP storm yesterday because I do have a free license that they took forever to send to me through my work on open CFP. Where's the Vim bindings option? Oh, wow. Great evangelism there, buddy. You really want to have to toggle between insert and uh, navigation mode? Just, dude, I've been using Vim for so long. It's like every editor I go to. I even started trying to do it in the stupid pirate pad. I'm trying to move up and down. Like, <laughs> I go like HJK. I'm like, over I'm like why the damn thing's not? Why, the, why is the line going up? So, um, yeah, that's the problem. You get you get hooked. That's the I tell people that's the downside to like learning either Emacs or or Vim is that you have to use these the you know the key combinations that are absolutely unique to those particular applications that it just wrecks you when you try to go use uh, another editor. It absolutely does. Yes. The the I I think and I'm not 100 percent but I think there are Vim key bindings in PHP Storm, um, and what you would do is press Command Shift and A to search everywhere, and then type Vim and it would tell you where in the IDE preferences the word Vim appears. So you could pr- pretty much find it really quickly that way. I'm I'm pretty sure it's gonna like format my hard drive if I open up PHP Storm and <laughs> type type Control Shift A Vim and like whoop. It's like oh a good thing well, my machine's got everything backed up. Yeah, the reason it took so long for you to get that license is that I wanted to make sure I knew your license number and we built into the newest version 9 nice. something that would do, you know, some pretty bad stuff to you should you hit the wrong key combo. So basically, yeah, Vim. 
Make a mistake. Fuck. fuck. Help improve PHP Storm by sending anonymous usage statistics to Gary Hawkins. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. That is yeah. pretty. So, Gary, it sounds like you get paid to go on developer spring break all the time. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't refute that. <laughs> Thank you for vocalizing it, you know, in a in a public forum where many people can hear you say that. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, no problem. (laughs) No, but I mean, it must be really great that and 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 you know, PHP Storm and JetBrains is 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 doing well, and they feel that that's something that uh, um, that they can. that, you know, can give them the kind of information that they want in front and feedback from developers to have. Gary, somebody. what was that? What was that key combo again? Because I have PHP Storm open. What was it? Um, you Command Shift and an A will bring up the box. It says Search yeah, Everywhere. Shift A. Oh, enter action or option name. It tells me. Yeah. So I don't think there is the word Vim in the options, but try Keymap. It says no matches found. Right. Keymap. There we go. All right. Well, keep talking. I'm going to go look at the Keymap stuff. I thought you, you yeah. could do something. Was it double shift you can do? Double shift is search everywhere. Command but, shift and A is search for action, um, which is good. Well, for search banking. for an action. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Okay. So that's really cool if you know, like, oh, I what never a shock. Nothing, nothing to do with Vim. What, are you, what a shock. I'm sure you can download that. Uh, have you heard oh. of this, the internet these days, uh, Chris? Oh, fuck you, Gary. Keep going. <laughs> how much? How long was that? Fifty-five minutes before I got him to say "fuck you, Gary." I like that. That's a pretty good run. That's a pretty good run. It's uh, a lot longer but, than what Ed gets. Oh yeah. Fuck you, Ed. Uh, that's. Uh, I like that. No, no, your name is now no clue about internet. I like that. So uh, apparently, uh, Gary's happy until uh, they run out of money. Which will probably happen because of the violent uh, uprising uprising oh. against subscription models. And I should say, I am not opposed to software subscription models. And generally, I think that JetBrains has done a pretty good job of keeping the pricing in line uh, with what it has been before. They had, you know, you had really a pretty. Most people probably followed what was kind of a subscription model anyway, where it would, you know, renew after a year, you had to renew after a year to keep getting support and new versions. And I think the, the one thing that I think it, it, you know, it's sort of, I think a complaint that I, uh, I think rings true to me is that for people who are budget limited and you might talk, we think about say hobbyists or stuff like that. Um, they might want to buy it once, and then the, so- the, the concern is that the software stops working after a year. It doesn't just not get supported, and I don't get updates. But it doesn't actually work. And I think for that, that's, uh, I, I can see people's point about that, uh, that uh, it's a, you know, that, hey, you know, okay, I don't need the support. That's fine. But I would like to actually continue using the software uh, I remember, and the exa- good example I would give would be, um, I used to write in, entirely on a hobbying basis some GUI applications for OSX and using, if you remember, Real Basic, which is actually still around and now has a different name, and I can't remember what it is now. But it's basically an object-oriented variant of Basic, so it's a lot like VB6, but better. Sounds ghastly. Um, yeah, um, and it was... It was actually not bad. I mean, basic itself is not a great language, 
But it, it was a very tightly and nicely integrated IDE. It was good for building like small UI applications and prototypes and things like that. So I did some stuff with that on, a, again, a hobbyist basis. Like the main thing that I did with it was uh, I made an, a lame-based MP3 encoder for like a front end for lame. Uh, called Lame Brain, which you can still look up if you want to and will not run on new Macs. Um, but I did that, and I wrote that in Real Basic, and I paid for a, a hobbyist license, right? And um, I also built, actually, the first versions of Spaz were actually built on Real Basic, and, they, and then I switched to using Adobe Air for it after a little bit. How now, did that, how did, sorry, did that like compile down into something? Or? Yeah, it would compile to, at the time, I think it would compile to Carbon. So okay. you use the Carbon APIs and stuff like that. They finally did transition it so it will compile to Cocoa. And I should say, Real Basic also can, it can target Windows and Linux as well. So, cool. and now they've got a thing where it can somehow target web stuff, which I don't understand and I don't care. But anyway, um, the thing that for me, which may be an edge case, maybe there's not a lot of people like me out there that was in, who were in that case, but I bought it once and there was not a compelling reason to upgrade for me because I didn't necessarily need new versions. I was just kind of doing my thing and it was, I wasn't making any money off of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the only issue that would come up was eventually, it, it I ha- I would have to upgrade like if I if I just wanted to compile it so it was compatible with the newest versions of OS X, yeah right I mean because stuff changes there, um and that I can get but otherwise you know I I wasn't selling anything there was no mm. no reason for me to do that and so um that was so that's when I when people talk about that and concerns about the subscription program and the fact that the software stops working after a year. That's the argument that I can see. Well, yeah, they got a point there, I think. Otherwise, I think if you're using it and you were upgrading anyway, I think this is no different. And I, I just don't think it's a big deal. Um, I think the vast, and I would imagine the vast majority of your customers are doing business with it and spending 50 or $100 a, a year just is not that much. I think... Um yeah, I think that I personally, this is completely my own personal kind of story. Is that I didn't realize how many how many people there were that like literally hated the idea of like renting software, let's say, because mm-hmm. you like you like you're renting the software, you're not buying it, you don't own anything. Very true. Um, and and there are people, and and it's not an opinion that I share, so it's very difficult for me to empathize with this view but there are people who just like have a fundamental um hatred of like a software license uh, subscription model mm-hmm. now i guess that comes down to the same way that some people would be quite happy to like drive a, a leased car with which they never really own and other people right. would you know really want to own their car and then and then drive it and mm-hmm. i i didn't realize there would be that much um uh, concern about like never being able to physically own the software so i think and i mean i'm 
I think the the team at uh, JetBrains were surprised as well. Yeah. Just how many people just had a fundamental hatred of a subscription model, basically. Um, so they've done really well to address that with this new, um, you know, you buy a year's license or you subscribe for a year, you buy a year subscription or you subscribe for a year, and when you pay for that year, you get the mod, the, the version of software in perpetuate forever, let's say. Also, right. that that is something that's changed. I may have not been following the conversation saying yeah, the past yeah, week an, or so. There was an announcement yesterday, and let me make it clear that I was arranged to come on this podcast before this whole thing. You know, I haven't just come on to talk about this, but right. it is quite an interesting um, thing that I don't think any other company have, have used this kind of halfway house model, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I, I mean, I I wouldn't have. I've been paying for PHP Storm myself personally for like four years or something. So I would, and I just, every time the email came in to say my uh, license was expiring, I would just buy a new one immediately. So this would have, this would literally have made no difference to me. I was saving some money, but which is great. But um, I understand why there's, there's backlash. And there's also people like to think that, um, corporations are evil, right? You know, Adobe and Microsoft moved to subscription models. Oh, evil, evil, evil. But there there has to be give and take. You you can't be seen to be like screwing your customers, but customers need to understand that businesses need to make decisions that mean that they will be able to make money because if they're not making money, they won't be able to support the customers. So, yeah, I guess... I don't think definitely JetBrains were prepared for a backlash, but not prepared for you know this much of a backlash. If I'm honest, and they really care, the people in the company really do care about you know they're not like oh who cares about people's opinions of us? They'll have to keep using our products. There was a lot of people who were genuinely disappointed and upset because Mm -hmm. they care about their reputation. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's good. I I mean, the perception I've always had is that JetBrains cares a lot about how they're perceived in the developer community and is generally trying to make things better for developers. And I, you know, I can tell that because I, I mean, I've, I look at documentation for other systems and all this stuff and you guys have really good documentation for your tools. Um, that is surprisingly detailed. And I can tell when I look at it, I'm like, these guys have actually kind of thought about Yay, this. I have Vim bindings in PHP storm. Continue. Uh, we'll have to put a link to that in. Uh, yes, I will actually put that in right here. Keep going, uh, sorry, gentlemen. But but yeah, I think that you know what you just said is having the the perpetual license for you know when you sign up for a year. I think that solves pretty much all the problems with with that model, and uh, I think that you know i don't know i i would have guessed that probably you guys would have been fine with pushing ahead but the fact that you did didn't do that because you were concerned about you know how is this impacting folks who really like our products yeah uh i think you know says something i mean obviously the business exists in order to so you guys can have a living and make money and that's why businesses exist but uh you can do that in the context of trying to be cool to people or not, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, yeah, and right. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and the fact is that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If, if, if we'd have just moved on with the model that we'd first announced and ignored all of the, um, you know, the backlash, then yep. 
I don't think, I think that the revenue income wouldn't have changed. I don't think, you know, for all the people who rant and rave and say, oh, I'll never use your products again. The products are so good that mm-hmm. it would be really difficult for people to kind of actually, um, you know, see that kind of threat through. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to say, look, you know, you're always going to be damned for backtracking. Oh, yep. you made a mis- You must have made a mistake because you're doing this. Well, yes, people make mistakes. Companies make mistakes. And yeah, it's, it's all good, I think. I, I think that makes me much more, um, I'm much happier working for this company after seeing, you know, given that I'd only been working there for six weeks when the first announcement came through. But to see how they handle that and, and seeing it from an internal perspective makes me a lot happier that with the decision I made to go and work there. I'll be honest. Yeah. Oh, sure. I think, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised that, that that would make you, you know, personally, when you're thinking about what's the kind of company I want to work for. That you know, a company that thinks about that stuff and wants to do right by customers, uh, that makes a big difference. And yeah. you know, I feel pretty lucky that I think I'm in a, a smaller but a similar kind of boat in terms of the place I work. So Chris, of course, is not. Uh, no, Chris but, is stranded now. Yeah, yeah. yeah but stranded uh, with what? What are you talking about? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's good to hear. I'm really glad to hear that. That uh, so I really all the stuff I said didn't didn't matter because he already fixed it. Yeah, yeah. There was an announcement uh, yesterday. It's quite quite a, an eloquent blog post. Um, yeah, on the JetBrains blog um, regarding the the new the changes they made and the reasons that the the change the changes were made. So all good. That's really that's really good to hear. I'm glad that uh, for yeah, that. Yeah, I read that same blog post as as well. So I thought I thought you know what they did was a. Uh, was a good compromise uh, just to make people understand, uh, you know, that they were caught off guard by what had happened and that they implemented a bunch of things that should help make people happy. I mean, really in terms of like handling how this went down, I don't think JetBrains could have handled it any better than what they did. Consider like the vitriol being spilled out on people. <laughs> You've lost a customer forever because of like, like, like it's like, yeah. like buddy, like buddy, put down the mountain doing the Doritos and relax. Okay. I, I, yeah. Your your mom can pay for the subscription for next year, so just you know, relax. Um, I, I just, I just, there's there's obviously right. There was a massive, massive, massive non-vocal percentage, huge percentage who were just like meh and get on with it because people right. who are apathetic will not post on blog posts and tweet. They'll just say, oh, okay, fine, get on with it. Right. And then there were like very rarely people go, oh, I'm going to save money, great, and tweet and blog about or you know report comments about that, but. The, how how much would you have to care um, about this stuff to 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 leave some of the comments I read? You know. Anyway, let's not go there because uh, I could end up. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I'll I'll speak some shit that I really don't want to dig yeah. myself up. Well, top, so. look, it's it's not just you. It's and it's not just JetBrains. It's uh, the way that people interact with organizations is. I mean, it's problematic because as an individual we don't view organizations as a group of people that we can be empathetic with. And there's some reasons for that because I think people's ability to empathize doesn't scale up that way. So you view larger and larger organizations as uh, sort of semi-sentient cash monsters, right? That are just, and, and, and always out to fuck you. And, that is, uh, you know, sometimes that's fucking true. And, mm. and unfortunately, there's sometimes p- 
people have learned that they have to scream bloody murder to get a company to do anything to basically to embarrass them. And there's some companies that that's what you have to do. Yeah. And so the thing that sucks is when you're not a company like that and you can just make a reasoned argument and they'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay. I can see where you're coming from with that. Maybe we better think about this. Well, there's plenty of people who they're, they're like, I, you know, I have to fucking scream at them because they're not human beings and I'm not going to treat them like human beings. I mean, let alone the whole idea of you're, you're talking on the internet and just where empathy goes in that, in the fucking garbage. Uh, it's, it's basically a big dumpster fire and, uh, that's, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and we have a lot of different things you can blame for that. And a lot also too, I think what causes a lot of this, there's two things at play too as well. The idea that, um, the idea that people think that the customer is always right, no matter what the particular issue is, that even if they're wrong, they demand, um, an unrealistic level of respect from the, from the company that they're dealing with. And just the idea, there's also this idea of, um, I know it's a phrase a lot of people don't like to hear, but I think there is some to it. The idea of um, victimhood culture, that somehow there are many, many people's ways of dealing with a bad situation is by they they feel offended by something that's happened and the the uh, what's been done to them may or may not be valid and may or not be actually offensive. And mm. then they what they're trying to do, they're trying to do this call to action style thing where they complain about you know this company being rotten and they hope that other people they're they're doing this as a way to try to rally other people to support um, the particular issue. It's uh, online discussions. I think have really morphed in a way that they are very different from where they were um, five years ago. And I think the the social media has made people feel like um, uh, feel like you know it's very easy to rally people behind you that say this is bullshit, and then other people join them in and they're piling on. And people sometimes they don't even stop to bother considering the issue that they're going on and on about. Is this actually what has happened? Is their view actually valid? And because um, you know, sometimes when people complain about stuff, uh, sometimes I feel like telling people, you know, this thing that you're complaining about, uh, even though I'm on your side on this issue, what you're actually complaining about is invalid. It's not true. This isn't what has actually happened. The thing you're complaining about and the way you're presenting it is does not accurately reflect what the problem really is. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, but as soon as you say that to them, they're like, oh, you, you're saying I'm wrong rather than answering my question. You know, it's the same old Yeah, but sometimes they're wrong. The I, 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 yeah. think, I, I think the, uh, I honestly think a lot of companies um, in terms of PR practices, actually, they need to have people who are actually trained on the proper because there is a proper way to push back at people who are full of vitriol and have a, and are basically going on and on about something that is not accurate and does not reflect what actually happened. When a company makes a mistake and they've done it and they've actually done a big mistake, yeah, they need to own up. But so much of what people complain is just simply it's in a people think that uh, it's okay to to substitute opinion for fact and and people and organizations that learn to cut through that and use facts and stick to, stick to the facts while showing some empathy for the other person being unhappy but in the end at the end of the day i think jetbrains looked mm. and said these are the facts this is what we are doing yeah. the, these things that people are complaining about are not actual oops because i i'm gesticulating wildly and i just get <laughs> Because I get uptight. You know, about nobody can see you moving your hands around. Oh, I know. And then I just banged into the mic. I just, <laughs> I just look at the. 
uh, <laughs> unless we had video and then it would just be off the, it would just be crazy if we had video to go with this thing I just I just look at the stuff like I'm just like people just need to shut up about a lot of stuff that the thing that they're complaining about is is if they just want to complain for the sake of complaining that's fine right Lord then, knows I Lord knows I know enough people who like to complain just for the sake of complaining but but it's like when you're complaining um, you should be complaining about facts and not just and not not treating your opinion as a fact so that's Basically, how I view view this argument with JetBrains, people were were presenting their opinions as facts when they weren't. Most most of the people in the PHP community like just got in touch with me directly, and there was a lot of people who were disappointed, who were like, "Oh, you know, I really will have to consider whether I can use the product now because I really do have a fundamental um, no subscription software policy." and I was like, okay, I can definitely take that back to the people who matter. You know, it was just very civil and it's fine. And and I'm not saying people shouldn't, should definitely should have responded the way they did. Um, but, you know, there was always these tiny, tiny, tiny minority, a handful of people who like just were completely extreme about everything. But yeah, it was, all, it's fine. I think there's still some people who were unhappy with the decision, but now this is definitely happening now, you know, this is fine now. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, it's a pretty good compromise. Good. That's, yeah, that's great it to means, hear. Yeah. Cause it means their stuff's not going to stop working when the, uh, it just means yeah. you'll get to use the version you paid for and no other version. And I don't think that's, uh, I don't have a problem with uh, an arrangement like that. It's like you pay for this version, that's it. And when it gets updated and other stuff, well, pay up or you're using the old version. I don't, yeah. I, I, I can't see how, I can't see how anyone, but people who just want to argue for the sake of arguing or have no people skills, um, would complain. You have no people skills. I have more people skills than the two of you put together. Yeah, that might be that might be true. That might be true. And that's still not a lot of people skills. Yeah, that's really <laughs> still an asshole. Still an asshole, uh, but at least I know it. Hey, did you? Uh, so, are you totally switched over to PHP Storm now with that Vim plugin? Well, I'm gonna, like I just said on Twitter, I'm I'm gonna give it a fair shake and and try it out with Open yeah. CFP and see how it works. And uh, I do try other editors from time to time to see if they're gonna fit my needs because Vim is, you know, Vim is what I know. But yep. um, it's nice once in a while. Um, uh, to use tools that are uh, specifically tailored to the programming language they have to use. I mean, I may, yeah. tr- tr- I may give it a try with the uh, with the step through debugging and and uh, with OpenCFP stuff and and just uh, um, you know give it a fair try and see if it works. I mean, it may be helpful for uh, the code base at work um, once I let it run overnight and index everything. And, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll be very surprised. Actually, I found that even with large code bases, it's pretty fast yeah. to to index stuff. But like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try because, you know, it's important to, I, I think it's important, I mean, I usually, I've talked about this before, the idea that, you know, pick a few tools for whatever your job is and learn them really, really well. But at the same time, you should go back every once in a while and reevaluate those tools and say, are these still the best tools yep. for the job that I'm doing? Because you never know when someone comes up with something um, that's really useful yep. and uh, and helps you with the way that uh, that you're trying to do things. All right, so I have about... 10 minutes left so um, before I have to go so let's go on to the last of our items where uh, we're video game stuff now I know that Ed of course is a video game maven especially of the the Mm. console type and I've noticed many many times that he's clearly playing video games when we're recording because he foolishly (laughs) tweets pictures of himself of his avatars and and other stuff hey what what'd you guys say what I was I wasn't sorry I was sorry I was was gold farming um (laughs) 
so, so yeah can you just wait while i collect all the uh the the, the things in fallout shelter one second which i noticed ed actually said live on a podcast a few weeks ago so i gotta collect this uh this uh power and food <laughs> yeah bloop, bloop. oh i got some new uh pregnant people <laughs> <laughs> Don't you throw the pregnant people at the first wave at the zombies when they come into the shelter? Uh, you know what's funny is they actually some people kind of complain about this that pregnant women uh, will, when encountering any danger, throw their arms up in the air and run away screaming um, inconsistently. And some people felt that that was a little bit maybe misogynistic. And I would kind of agree with that I, because pregnant women can do everything else but freak the fuck out uh, when that happens. Any so what, fearful thing. Are, happens. are we saying that the, the, the majority of pregnant women um, aren't completely protective of their unborn child here? Wait a second, I, I'm confused. Well, it wasn't like they were. I, I don't think the idea was that they wanted them to like use their uh, uteruses to shield themselves from bullets. But I think the idea was that in danger they became completely useless and like like uh, completely terrified and unable to do anything helpful. And, okay, yeah, that's pretty bad. To be fair, that is. Pretty uh, bad. Yeah. So, and that has not changed as far as I can tell in any updates. Uh, but uh, well, I don't know. Whatever. It's it's really easy in Fallout Shelter to turn it to tur- like basically uh, turn it into a baby farm, which is a little bit disturbing. Like just have one or two dudes staying in a place, and you just keep dropping women into that room and wait like five minutes, and then they go. Uh, what, what would you say, shag? And um, I, I'm not actually Austin Powers. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then, uh, and then, magically, they're pregnant, uh, and you can just keep doing that. And it's I do not play the game like that because I sort of find that disturbing. But if you're into baby farming, uh, it is certainly an option. That's, that's when you equip the, the man with the uh, the donkey jacket of plus ten charisma, right? <laughs> yes, the, well, charisma does impact how facts that works. So, yes, this was not an uninformed joke. This was yeah. a, an accurate <laughs> joke for the, the for the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I found that that Fallout Shelter kind of hits a peak at some point, and then it's not so fun anymore. Like when you've built all the types of rooms, and it's just kind of like, well, I don't really know what else I'm supposed to do. Uh, I, I stopped playing it. I mean, it, it was fun for a while, and it's free. So, I mean, kudos to them. They actually took the game Farmville, if you remember that, and then yep. just made it a gritty post-apocalyptic uh, skin, and then and said, "Ah, oh, this is a brand new game." And everyone, oh, I hated Farmville, but yeah, I'll play this game. It's really cool. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's it is exactly the same thing. Um, it's fun. You know, uh, I've been playing more. I play a lot of the SimCity Build It on iOS. And that is probably what I play more now and for just gaming in general. And I, I really like city building games. I mean, obviously this one is a, is a, uh, in-app purchase bonanza, um, which I try to avoid doing, but I think I've spent $10. (laughs) Don't get me started. And I don't really, I don't mind if it's a reasonable amount. And I'm thinking like, I play, played this game every day for like two months well, I just probably worth twenty or thirty dollars from that. So okay, that's fine. 
I, I, and that's that's perfect. That's the perfect attitude. But my concerns are not to do with when you choose to spend money, but right. 90% of the in-app purchase games are designed to have a barrier that is like really, really difficult for you to solve without yes. being in-app. And so gameplay just suffers completely. I have yes. to say Fallout did it well. You, I, I felt no obligation to actually spend to be able to play Fallout effectively. But then I did spend because I played it fairly consistently for a couple of weeks and I thought I can give these people three pounds um you know it's it's a right. fair transaction then yeah. in my mind even though I didn't really need to yeah. um buy but, some lunch boxes that's fine yeah exactly but but most of the games even if they're big branded kind of games just yeah they 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 designed around the actual concept they haven't said right let's make a really good game now let's see how we can monetize within our purchases they're like oh we really need to design how we're going to monetize it right now. How can we fit the game into this model? Right. Yeah. And that's not fun. It's understandable because apparently you make a shit ton more money within app purchases. Like, like it is, I guess so much more lucrative to do a free game within app purchases than to do a straight buyout game. Yeah. And so, I mean, I always thought it was funny when, when uh, I don't know, a few months ago or something, I saw where somebody pointed it out to me, like in the, the App Store on iOS, where it was like a special section. It was like games you only have to pay for once. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah. Just games then, really. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I don't, and I don't mind, like, if it's a good game, and I don't care if it's on a tiny screen, I don't mind spending $10, $20 on it because no. to me, I'm getting a lot of value out of that game. I don't, I mean, I've spent more for games that lasted less time, uh, a lot more. So, you know, yeah, yeah. consoles, I, mean, I spent $50, $60 on games. Seventy dollars for collector's edition or something, and then I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of it. Do I feel that that was a too expensive for the value I got? No, no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, yeah. I, I mean, I bought um, UFO uh, Enemy Unknown. I don't know if you ever played the turn-based oh, kind of. Oh, I've seen X-Tone that game. Games. Always wanted to play it. Yeah. But it's really it. good, and I, I I originally played them on when I had a PC, which I used to play games on, and then I saw it came out for. Um, for the iPad, and I was like, even though it's the same game, and they wanted maybe ten US dollars for it, I was like, Do you know what? I'd, I'd pay ten US dollars to have that on my iPad to play and play it again. And so, what? And what game was this? It's XCOM, you know. Oh, it's, XCOM, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. That's what I thought you were talking about. So it, it, it the, the model works of just taking games from different platforms and just selling them, you know, without there's no in-app purchases for that. You get the whole, all the expansions, everything. So yeah, yeah. it. it there's there's a market for it, definitely. Yeah, I like that stuff. I like that they released Baldur's Gate on the iPad, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so for what I've been playing lately, which, you know, a lot of times I don't. I go through stretches where I play games a lot, and then I don't, except for some iPad, some iPhone, a couple iPhone games. But right now, not going to be surprising. I'm playing a lot of Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, and I'm really liking it. I was kind of rusty, and when I first was playing Ground Zeroes, it took me a little while to get used to it because I was kind of getting my ass kicked and wasn't really used to playing like that. Um, Did you play the originals? Uh, at so I, I I played the original Metal Gear on on NES, and then I played Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation, and I played PS2 Metal Gear Solid 2. I 
played through most of Metal Gear Solid 3, but I think I may have actually played Metal Gear Solid 4 first. And then, which is actually kind of chronologically correct because it goes from Metal Gear Solid 2 to 4 in terms of that. But then Metal Gear Solid 3 is really a prequel. It's like the start of the whole story. And I played most of the way through Metal Gear Solid 3. I did not play Peace Walker. I don't know what that is. So Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker is, I guess, very... It has a lot of the same kind of, like, base and, like, collecting resources and troops gameplay that is in Metal Gear Solid 5. And Peace Walker was originally, I think, a PSP game. Oh, cool. And, um... And but they they did release it for PS3 in some collection, like a Metal Gear Solid collection. You can get Peace Walker on it. And then, um, but I did not play that. And so f- then I got, I did get Ground Zeroes, but I didn't play it for a long time. And it was just I kind of wasn't super excited about it. I guess and no, I'm, I haven't bothered to be honest. Although I really did enjoy um, Metal Gear Solid. I think if you whose footprints are these? What? Oh yeah. What was that? What was that noise? Yeah, I remember there was one part in Metal Gear Solid Five, I, like some screen or Metal Gear Solid, excuse me, the original. I just could not figure out because there was some maze where I had to climb under pipes a bunch or something like that. And it that, was just, that sounds like the whole game. Yeah. Basically, yeah, and it was just you had to do it in a certain amount of time to like disarm a bomb or something, and it was just like impossible to figure it out. And eventually, I think I had to cheat and see something. It's like, oh, there's a place here that was totally non-obvious. That yeah. that tell you? Did did you have to like climb out of water at the beginning? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is exactly this is just in that room because it's like 15 years ago that I played it, but I exactly got stuck in the same place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, so I've been playing Metal Gear a long time and I've really enjoyed those games and I like stealth stuff like that. I hate um, it. I have really? no patience. Yeah. Oh, so you terrible. just go in and blow shit up. Yeah. 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 Which, you know what, is a, in five is a perfectly valid way of playing the game. Um, you can just go in and start shooting motherfuckers. Now you <laughs> See, can't, no, you sort of can't do it like space marine style, right? You have to be around cover and stuff, and it helps to be a little stealthy. But I mean, you can certainly play the game where you're like, I'm going to bring a rocket launcher and I'm just going to blow shit up, and then it's going to distract them, and then I'm just going to blow people away when they all come over here, and you know, <laughs> look what happened and. Um, so it's a perfectly valid way of playing the game. Obviously you get, you know, they have a ranking system and stuff. So you get, if you went through and had no kills like that, so you yeah. get point, extra point for that, but you should play the game however the fuck you want to. I mean, yeah. and you can do it. And, and Metal Gear Solid 5 is super open-ended. So, which is pretty cool in that sense. There's, there's a clear set of story missions, but there's a ton of like side ops missions. That two hundred, so, and that's all just go in and earn more money that you can spend to develop products and stuff, or, or, or to do R and D and develop new weapons and and devices and shit. So, it's a lot of fun, and it's a oh my god, it's a huge game. There's just a ton of. Stuff. Uh, but then I never end up playing half of it. I just get bored. So, well, yeah. maybe yeah, maybe what you do is you just press through the missions. Yeah, the main mission, and, and then carry on playing the side. Yeah, if you want to play the rest, you can, but you don't have to. It's not like it's a requirement. I mean, it's it's like 
Dragon Age, like I'm person that's like I do all the side missions, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, so I still haven't completed the latest Dragon Age because I got sidetracked. Something else came out, like Batman or something, and I was like, oh, I really want to play this, and then never gone back. So, all right, gentlemen. Wait, 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 we're done. We're done. Let's... How about you fucking shut it, buddy? I don't care about your goddamn sailboat. Chris has to go. No, it's not the same thing. I got to do something with my kid, and my kid's been in here twice asking me why I'm not done yet. So that's fine. Deal that's with fine. it. Okay. The new Doctor Who starts in ten minutes. So oh yeah, you should definitely go see that prequel. Prequel. Don't time? you mean Doctor Whom? Uh, no. Doctor what? There's the, there's a, you're you're a Doctor Who fan, right, Gary? Uh, loosely, yeah. All right, go look up online the grammar Dalek, and you will get that joke. <laughs> okay, I, I do believe you mean Doctor <laughs> Whom. <laughs> yeah, stop making me laugh. I'm supposed to pretend I hate you, and I no, so you don't. It's a it's a hate hate relationship, buddy. You know, indeed, it it's, yeah. That's going and you'll finally get to meet me in person at True North PHP in a indeed. short seven weeks from now. So I have. PHP Northwest, then ZenCon, then True North PHP. So come and say hi if you're around in any of those conferences. All right. Yes, if you want, if you want a man with a weird accent to try and convince you to use PHP Storm, Gary's your man. So, uh, Mr. Hawken, <coughs> excuse me. I want to thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, thank you for putting your Saturdays out to have me. Yes, it's very rare. Of course, we've set a precedent. I have Raphael Doms already hassling us. Oh, you can have people in Europe on the show. Ah, uh, fuck I, that guy. It's like I just want to block him forever and ever. Um, so, so thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can find Gary on Twitter as. Uh, G-E-E-H uh, he is very knowledgeable about all things uh, JetBrains related he also is a passable PHP developer he's done talks on various Zen stuff you just did a Nomad PHP talk right uh, yesterday or the day before yes I heard it was quite well received um, uh, and I saw that our, our mutual friend uh, Rob Allen uh, gave your presentation at some uh, conference somewhere because you bailed because you're too cool for school. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly what. <sighs> Whatever. Didn't want to venture out of. Uh, didn't want to leave your camper van uh, at the Pikey Colony to come and uh, come and teach people about um, Zen framework. <laughs> the wagon. The wagon. That's right. Shagging wagon. He was. He was it's checking just. On it. It's just a. It's just a transit van with a with a, an old mattress in the back. To be honest, but I like to call it a camper van. Yeah, it's your uh, your your uh, brand new caravan. Uh, I've I've seen uh, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and uh, snitch. I know I know all of, all about uh, uh, British vernacular. All right, so anyway, uh, I believe we've come to the end of another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. So as always, thank you, Gary, for coming on. Thank you because I because I don't have the patience to go through uh, Ed's last spiel. So thank you to Paul Reinheimer and Will, and of course we know the uh, stir, the uh, straw that stirs the drink at Wonder Networks. Gemma, keeping them on the straight and narrow. Um, so thank you to Wonder Network, an incredibly long sponsor of the podcast, helping provide us the bandwidth for the live chat. Uh, and of course, thank you to Rove again for their uh, continuing support of the podcast. Uh, Ed, have, has Rove run out of money? Do I need to hit Priscilla up on Monday for another uh, set of renewals? I think we might, but I had honestly haven't looked at the spreadsheet in quite a while. <laughs> All right, well, then maybe when you're done with this, uh, before you go and play UFO or whatever stupid game you're going to be playing, you can, right. uh, you can yeah. go check it out and make sure that uh, Priscilla has, has paid us. Um, 
So uh, as always, you can find every single episode of the podcast on our website at devhell.info. Uh, Ed has always does an amazing job of picking not only the title, but a graphic. I saw the previews for episode, <laughs> six, for episode 65, and oh my lord, is Ed back on top of his game. Uh, so uh, you can listen to us uh, on uh, every single episode is on there. Show notes, uh, a nice little web-enabled player to listen to it. If you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please write the podcast. We appreciate the feedback. We want to know that we're still continuing to provide a, a high-end comedy podcast for you. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at uh, dev underscore hell. Um, we do, although I didn't c- controls the account because I can't remember what the fucking password is anymore. <laughs> I just gave up. I'm like, I just, I, I don't know. Ed does a good enough job anyway. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter as Grumpy Programmer uh, with a U. Uh, without the U, you can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much for joining us and we will talk to all of you soon. Good night, Internet. Good night, Internet. Good night. Good night.